Welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. Have you ever made a bad call? Have you ever decided something or committed to something and you realize later, I don't want that. I signed up for something I didn't want. It could have been maybe a financial mistake or a relationship that turned sour. Wouldn't it be nice if you could see down the road a little more and see the outcome of things on the front end? I'm Bruce, the lead pastor here, and I'm really glad that you've joined us. Today we're going to be wrapping up a message series called Battleground. And we've been following a warrior, a young leader named Joshua, uh, looking at a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. And Joshua was given an assignment to launch a military campaign in the ancient land called Canaan. And this was enemy-occupied territory. but it would become the place where the Israelites would settle, grow, and flourish as the people of God. And it's kind of a fun book to read because it's got a lot of military exploits. And, you know, when you're in a military context, I don't know if you ever have been, uh, you can imagine it's, it's critical that you make really good decisions because a lot's at stake. And so this book of the Bible has been really useful for us. The battleground concept is... It serves as a good metaphor, I think, for how we, nowadays, we can press forward in life whenever we're facing opposition. If sometimes life can feel like a battleground, maybe there's forces outside of you and in, in your world or in your life that feel like they're coming against you, or maybe there's opposition from within. Maybe there's discouragement or other things that you battle and you have to press forward. Years ago, you might have seen the movie, We Were Soldiers. And this was a, a Mel Gibson movie set in Vietnam. There's a scene where a group of U.S. soldiers spot an, an enemy scout. And so the young lieutenant that's in charge, he sees the scout running away. And then he just calls everybody for him. They want to go capture him before he gets too far away. What they don't realize is it was a trick. And they're running into an ambush. So his, he just they charge full seam after this one until... Now people start dropping like flies, getting shot. And all of a sudden it turns into a big firefight. And this lieutenant, he had a bad read on the situation. He thought it was one thing, but it was something totally different. He had no idea. And so he responded in the wrong way. The results were pretty deadly, not just for the lieutenant, but for his whole team. A lot of, pe a lot of loss was endured because of a bad read. A lot of life works in a similar way. Here's the flow of life situations that we come across. We read a situation or decision or relationship, and then we respond to it, and then we reap the results. We read, we respond, and reap. And today we're going to look at what's needed to get a better read. It's better to start out on the front of the end of this thing doing really well. Sometimes we're lacking information, or maybe we're getting deceived and we don't know it, or maybe we, we have a decision to make. Navigating through life, we've really got to have good judgment. There was actually a funny thing about that movie. I showed that video clip in church one time, um, talking about this idea. It's a great illustration of getting a bad read on life. And the video clip, it's really short. It's about a minute, minute and a half. And there's gunfire in the video clip, of course. But I didn't tell our church security team that I was showing the video clip. And so all of a sudden they're out in the lobby 
keep an eye on the entrance and things like that, and they hear gunfire in the auditorium really loud through our pump, through our sound system. And so they, they, it throws them into a frenzy. They come running in, and uh, fortunately, nobody was hurt. Nothing bad happened. But that was a bad read on my part. I didn't think through what was going to happen to the whole environment with a decision that I made. So I need to go ahead and admit, I don't always have an accurate read. Uh, if you've ever made a bad call or if you've realized that something was missing in your planning or your decision making, maybe you've also developed a bit of a healthy mistrust. I, I've come to realize a lot of times I, I, I suffer with being wise in my own eyes, but there are times when I realize that my ideas, my perspective, it's not always that reliable. It's often the case where if we don't get an accurate read on our situation, we're going to end up responding in a bad way. Situations come at us constantly. We've got decisions to make or problems that just spring up to solve or conversations we need to have or offers or opportunities come along. And it doesn't matter how well-intentioned I am. It doesn't matter how courageous I am. It doesn't matter how much gusto I have. If we, we can cause others and ourselves a lot of pain if we're operating from the wrong perspective. We're just not seeing it right. So we've got to get a better read. How do you get this? How do you see life more accurately? How do we get the vital information to avoid disaster or getting tricked? God desires that we develop our judgment. God actually wants us to get the ability to better read our situations. So we're going to look at a story. It's actually a, a real historical account in the Bible that highlights this tension. So we're going to jump into the book of Joshua again. In chapter 9, we find Joshua and the Israelite nation who he, he's in charge of. They just defeated their first two enemies, Jericho and Ai. And we looked briefly at those in the past couple weeks. Joshua had every intention of carefully carrying out God's command in Canaan. And because of it, word of their success is spreading around the region. And people realize that there's a, there's a major military power on the scene now. The way that God was working through his people was unprecedented. It was getting a lot of attention. And so in Joshua uh, chapter 9, verse 3, it says, When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted deceptively. So they, these, this other, you know, the Gibeonites, they resorted to deception in order to, to try saving themselves. They know there's a possibility we might be next on the list. They were pretty sure that they would be unable to resist this new big army and whatever God that they were serving that seemed to be giving so much favor. So in the interests of self-preservation, they figure out their only angle is to be crafty. So it says they gathered provisions, they took out worn sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins cracked and mended. They wore old patched sandals on their feet and threadbare clothing on their bodies. Their entire provision of bread was dry and crumbly. So these things that they brought, all this old looking stuff, this was going to be their key evidence that would help them in their deception. <laughs> Gibeon was only about 18 to 20 miles away from where Israel was camped in Gilgal. That's like about the distance from Santa Clarita, where I am, to Agua Dulce. You know, it's about 20 miles away. And uh, so, it's not that far. So these people, they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. This is verse 6. And they say to him, and the men of Israel, 
we have come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. The men of Israel, they reply to the, the, the Hivites, the other name for them, perhaps you live among us. How can we make a treaty with you? They've got a little bit of suspicion, which is probably good. Uh, they want to be careful. They want to handle this well. And, you know, if this group fell within the region that God had picked out, which they did, uh, Israel can't make a treaty with them. They're on the list as an enemy city, blocking the way for God's people to settle in the region. So they said to Joshua, we are your servants, which really doesn't answer the question, who are you and where are you from? <laughs> it was a well-designed reply. They probably were talking, they were practicing it on the way. Like, what if he asks us where we're from? What are we going to say? Well, Joshua is not satisfied. And he asks again, who are you and where do you come from? So they, they're pushed to answer. They reply to him, your servants have come from a faraway land because of the reputation of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. There were some things that happened under Moses that were pretty spectacular. Um, they heard about all that he did to the two Amorite kings beyond the Jordan. They list some names, King, of, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who was in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our land told us, take provisions with you for the journey and go to them and say, we are your servants, please make a treaty with us. So they lay on the deception pretty thick. <laughs> They're going to break out their secret weapon, the evidence the supposed evidence of their long journey, which really was the crux of their whole strategy. Dry bread <laughs> and torn clothing. That's what, it, that, that's what it, they're going on. And they're probably thinking, all right, if the Israelites don't buy this, they may just kill us right now for trying to trick them right in the middle, right? You know, open-faced lie. So they're probably sweating, heart pounding. They say, this bread of ours was warm when we took it out of our houses as food on the day we left to come to you. But see, now it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but see, they're cracked. And these clothes and sandals of ours were, are worn out from the extremely long journey. Well, the Gibeonites must have played their part admirably because no more questions were asked. If Joshua had any scruples up to this point, I guess he got over it. There was, there was no more evidence demanded. And what happens next is... The whole point of this message, it's surprising to see the way that this thing plays out. The way that the Israelites handle the situation has massively long-term results. Decades, generations of people will be impacted by this. But up to this point, the whole thing seems fairly reasonable. And if I was in Joshua's shoes, examining all the evidence, looking at these guys, I might have said, you know what, these men are asking for peace. You know, we are on a military campaign, but we're not bloodthirsty mercenaries. If these people are so far off the map, I, I would prefer to have peace with them than go to war unnecessarily. So why not? I don't know exactly what his thoughts were, but he's in the middle of the situation and Joshua is reading the situation, trying to assess it. He's going to respond and then everybody gets to reap the results. So in Joshua 9.14 it says, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not seek the Lord's decision. They did not consult God. 
No. What do you mean? No, this is, how, how is it possible that you would miss that step? Doesn't that seem like kind of an obvious, important thing to do? Joshua is doing his best to read the situation, but he's flying blind without God's input. And I wish I could say that I've never done that myself. <laughs> but I, I totally have, you know, times when I've tried to make a big decision or when I'm dealing with a huge stressful problem at home or, or something with money. Sometimes I haven't spent focused time praying about it. Maybe I was thinking a lot about it, or maybe I was even thinking about praying about it. I'm sure Joshua was thinking a lot about what to do, but this was a pretty big slip. This was a massive oversight that doesn't say anything about his intentions. Actually, I think he was very well-intentioned. I think his desire was to follow God wholeheartedly. But back when Joshua was publicly commissioned as the leader to follow Moses, the way that God set things up, it was whenever direction from the Lord would be needed, it was going to be Joshua's responsibility to consult the priest who would then ask God and the whole community would know what to do. There, you can see this outlined in another Old Testament book called Numbers. God was committed to providing the direction that they needed, but they had to figure out what it was. Despite our best intentions, we sometimes forget that God truly does give the direction that we need to navigate life for the big things and even the small things in life. So in verse 15, Joshua established peace with them and made a treaty to let them live. And the leaders of the community swore an oath to them. They're deceived, they make a treaty and they seal it up. Of course, his read is wrong, and so now his, his response is automatically wrong. Even with his best judgment, which probably was fairly good, by this point in his life with his experience and leadership and training for Moses, his judgment on the whole probably was pretty good. But even his best judgment wasn't enough. It doesn't take long before the Gibeonites' cover is blown. Somehow, within a couple of days, word gets to Joshua's ears. These guys are our neighbors. Joshua and his team hop onto the 14 freeway and they drive into Agua Dulce just to find the Gibeonites saying, surprise, we're neighbors. But it's too late. And you can imagine how disturbing this whole thing must have felt. In Joshua 9, uh, 919, it says, all the leaders answered them, we have sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This is how we will treat them. We will let them live so that no wrath will fall on us because of the oath that we swore to them. Joshua and the elders put such a high value on keeping oaths that they bound themselves to it and they were stuck. They also said, let them live. This is verse 21. So the Gibeonites became woodcutters and water carriers for the whole community as the leaders had promised them. So they put them at the bottom rank in society, basically. The whole result was that their hands were tied on moving through, moving forward on God's original assignment. Israel's hands were tied, and now they were reaping the results. Joshua and his people were on track to drive out all the Canaanites, but then they unwittingly entered into a covenant with, the whole, with a whole nation of them. And the big problem here is that these other nations in this region end up leading Israel into false religions. They end up leading them into sinning against God and incurring his wrath and judgment. 
If you have ever been deceived by somebody, you might be able to relate to Joshua. It's not a good feeling. None of us likes to be deceived or duped or tricked. And what Joshua learned, and even that when I'm using my best judgment, it's not enough. My natural point of view is inadequate. This is a helpful thing for us to get our minds around. My natural point of view is inadequate. My vision is limited. In fact, I could sabotage myself by relying only on my native perspective. I ought to be suspicious of myself. In order to get an accurate read, it's critical that we grow in judgment and discernment. Much later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul spoke to the Colossians and he said, in Colossians 1.9, we're asking God that you may see things, as it were, from his point of view by being given spiritual insight and understanding. That's a really great way of thinking about it. What if we could see things from God's point of view? And if we looked and we saw it, the way he sees people or our decisions, or how do, how do I navigate this? Or how do I solve this problem? When, we when emotions are rising high, and we respond to that, or when we're talking to somebody, this would be really new. What if, what if we saw all those situations in life from his point of view? It would help us to see how inadequate my tendencies can be. What Joshua needed and what we're constantly in need of, we've got to keep communication lines open with God. There must be a flow of communication so that our way of thinking is shaped by him, and by, really by God's words. So one of the ways that we keep communication lines open is by praying for direction. It can be very easy to forget this step. <laughs> Joshua needed to go through a priest, but amazingly, we can communicate directly with God because of what Jesus did by paving the way for us to gain a direct relationship. Communication in Santa Clarita can be tough because cell phone reception is spotty in certain areas. There's some, there's some dead zones that I drive through. But when it comes to prayer, God's always got great reception no matter where you go. You don't ever have to worry about dropping a call. There's another wartime movie called Lone Survivor. This one's a little bit more recent. And uh, this one is about four guys that get stuck in enemy, enemy territory. And the mission that they were on was primarily recon. They were supposed to gather some information, find the uh, location of a, a suspect. So they call to be extracted, but comm links are down. Their communication lines are down and so they can't reach the base. They get, they get found out, and then this overwhelming military comes after them, and they get stuck in a deadly firefight. And really, the whole thing breaks down because their communication was, was disrupted. And the truth is, spiritually, we're living inside enemy lines. We have an enemy that's working against us, and so we've got to keep lines open with God. God is our source of help, and direction and protection. Another way that we can practically keep communication lines with God open is to clear the static. Sometimes there's static in the lines. You know, sometimes you hear that in the phone and I can't quite hear them or there's something in the background. And for us, this happens, maybe you need to make a decision and especially if it involves some kind of binding agreement or a financial commitment. I mean, Joshua's situation was a real binding situation. And for us, those usually involve a lot of emotion. 
maybe you're being really influenced by the pressure of the moment or by someone else's perspective or opinion or maybe you just really want something. And there's all kinds of emotion that creates static in our ability to hear from God. Sometimes we need to let the emotion settle. So one thing that we've done to kind of combat this dynamic in, in our house is we, we tend to wait three days before making any binding agreement <laughs> or any big decision. We, we try to, even if this is at the risk of losing out on something, taking a three-day delay on contracts has been really helpful. And I think it's uh, maybe saved us from making a bad decision. Imagine if Joshua would have waited three days or, or maybe just one before making a binding oath. This actually happened to me one time. I, the, the van that we have now, I bought from a dealership and I went to a bunch of, uh, I contacted a bunch of dealerships to get the lowest price possible. I found one that I thought was looking good and I'm haggling over the price, getting it down, getting it down. And so finally I get to the, my target range for, for paying for the car, for the vehicle. And we agree. We get it, we, you know, I sign the price that we settle on, and I felt so relieved. It was great, you know, it was kind of like a stressful journey up to that point, getting that figured out. So they say, all right, your last step now is to head, just head into the financial office and uh, get some of the last paperwork firmed up. Okay, no problem. So this is my first time buying a vehicle from a dealership. <laughs> and so I walk in and the, the finance guy real friendly. He's got pictures of his family on the desk and <laughs> he's trying to sell me on this additional coverage. It's pretty expensive. And he's got examples of like broken car parts on the desk that he's showing me, hey, this could happen to you. And you know, you've got kids, right? And you know, check it. I'm so glad for my kids that they're safe and all this stuff. And he's really selling me on this expensive coverage. And I'm thinking, you know, I probably do need this. Um, I mean, I want to be a good dad. <laughs> so anyway, I sign it. I, you know, so we, this gets tacked on to the price, which actually puts me over my target price on this thing. And uh, so I'm calling, you know, I get home. I'm talking to my wife and um, everyone's excited. New van, yay. And she's like, oh, so, you know, how'd it go? And the bartering and all that. And what was the price? And I told her the price. And she's like, oh, that's, that's what we're paying. I was like, yeah, plus uh, this extended coverage. She said, what do you mean? I was like, well, I, you know, I bought this additional thing on top of the price of the car, and uh, here's how much it was. <laughs> and she's like, what? So then I'm trying to sell her on it. I'm like, well, you know, things could break, and we got kids, and try, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm the salesman now because I'm like not feeling so great about this decision. Well. Turns out we're able to find out more about this coverage, which turns out is marked up astronomically. And we were able to quickly find um, another, you know, uh, not non-dealership price that was better coverage. It covered more things. Uh, there's, come to find out there's limitations on the one that I bought. And uh, anyways, it lasts longer and it was way cheaper. And so I realized I, made a bad call. <laughs> I didn't have enough information. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're in a situation where, you know, if you walk out of here now, you're never going to see this price again, or this opportunity is going to be gone forever. Anytime that we're told to act now, I think it, 
it's a situation of trust where all of a sudden we're putting our trust into this person more than we trust God to come through for us, especially when we're really wanting something. Sometimes we need to, we need, sometimes it just takes time to clear the emotional static out of the decision-making process. Another way to keep communication lines open with God is to get wise advice. And you might say, well, talking to people, why don't I just talk to God? Well, sometimes the words of a wise person, somebody who walks with God and has an experience, maybe is older or more, uh, has a more uh, proven track record, sometimes God speaks through them to us. God is constantly using his people, even if they're fellow, broken, sinful humans, sometimes God uses other people to speak his words to us. And this is another step that we frequently overlook, thinking, no, I've got an accurate read here. I can see, I mean, I've got, nobody knows my situation quite the way that I do. But getting advice is like bumping up from 3G to 4G LTE. <laughs> it makes a big difference. It speeds up our ability to get an accurate read on our situations. And then finally, one last thing is to maintain a regular quiet time. Uh, quiet time meaning daily time with God. Uh, and it's been called different things, daily devotions, one-on-one -on -one time with God. But most often, this includes Bible reading and prayer. It can be done in a variety of ways, um, different forms, but um, far and away, this is the most important way to keep communication lines open. You might even just jot this down, circle it now. Moving through life with the ability to accurately read all of the complex situations we face, we definitely need a steady, frequent consumption of God's truth if we're going to see things accurately, if we're going to see things from His point of view. So quiet time, here's a practical definition, is daily time set aside to hear from God. And so, are you hearing from God on a daily basis? You can ask yourself, if, if you do have a regular practice of a quiet time or something similar, is it doing what it's supposed to do? And hearing from God comes in different forms. Sometimes it's conviction. I mean, you know, I often get convicted about where I've gotten off track or I've sinned or I've done something displeasing to God or hurtful to people. Sometimes hearing from God is getting direction on decisions. Sometimes it's getting awareness of something new, a new aspect of life or new about God or Sometimes it's just getting courage and focus and motivation for what's, what lays ahead. What's amazing is that everything we need in life can be found in the Bible. Not every specific situation that you face is outlined in the Bible. There's not a chapter on potty training. <laughs> uh, you won't be able to know, should I marry this individual person? It's not specific. Their name's not written in the Bible. But all of the principles needed to get an accurate read and to respond wisely. It's all in there. Sometimes it takes work and digging and some effort, but it's, it is very worth the effort put in. And if you've been a churchgoer for a long time, then, you know, sometimes people can get pastor dependent. We might think, if I'm not growing or being helped, maybe there's a problem with this church, <laughs> or maybe I need to get a new teacher. But as it turns out, I think a daily, vibrant, quiet time, per, you know, personal time with God is a much greater factor in our growth than listening to a weekly sermon. 
A consistent, frequent habit of hearing from God will allow us to gain His new, more accurate perspective on life. So this week, you're likely to encounter some situations that demand an accurate read. Could be, man, when my kid is throwing a massive fit and I don't know why and I don't really know what to do. Or when my spouse sees something one way and I see it another way and we are gridlocked. Or when I'm at work and my boss or my coworker is wearing on me again and I'm, it's grinding me down. These are all examples of times when we need an accurate read. What's really going on here and what is the best way to respond? I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to just go off on my na native point of view with a faulty perspective. This week, you can take steps to keep communication lines open. And uh, jot down, you know, send us an email or in the chatter. If there's some way you'd like help with any of these ways of keeping communication lines open, there's, there's really a lot more to the idea of how, how do I hear from God? There's a lot more to how to make good decisions. There's a whole decision-making paradigm that we can work through. But we would love to help you sort through a specific question or a situation that you have or a decision that you need to make. As you experience what it's like to have open, regular communication with God, there is such a safety in walking in God's counsel. He's a good father, and he guides us through danger. And sometimes he redirects us, but it really takes developing and growing ability to hear his voice. And even more, when communication lines are open, there's a joy in walking with him. God wants that. He wants us to walk with him. It's not just about avoiding the traps, but about enjoying the good and the blessing that comes with walking with Him. So let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful that we have clear and direct access to You, and that when we humble ourselves um, and admit where, where our sin and where we get off track, it, it opens up a world of getting input and help from You. I pray that You would help us, Lord, to rely not on ourselves, but on You and Your Word. and the wise people that you put around us and you speak to us through them. Help us to develop the consistency in walking with you, listening to you, just, uh, and, and just uh, enjoying the closeness and the fellowship that comes with relating to you regularly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.